Hello, I'm Rebecca Castellino, and this is Hopping the Fence, a podcast dedicated to talking to artists on the fringes of the Canadian art scene. B. Wisehire is a research-based artist working within digital media and video installation. Wisehire utilizes online trends and subcultures to deconstruct mediated intimacies and personas on digital platforms. Informed by acceleration aesthetics, their work plays with excess and artifice to interrogate the ways in which late capitalism affects our digital lives. Wisehire received their BFA in printmaking from OCAD in 2017 and an MFA from the University of Waterloo in 2020. Our conversation was recorded in Tekoronto on the traditional territories of the Haudenosaunee, Huron-Wendat, Anishinaabe, and Mississaugas of the New Credit First Nations. Hey, B. Hi, Rebecca. How's it going? Good. How are you? I'm good. In my not-so-sweaty apartment, I'm glad things are, like, cooling down. I don't know about you. I'm slightly sweaty. I turned off the fan so it wouldn't um, make any noise. Oh, no. It's Um, okay. It's not so bad. It's cooling down a bit. Cool. So where are you right now? I'm in... Toronto, Ontario, also known as Toronto, Ontario. I'm in my bedroom, um, which is also my studio in a shared apartment in Toronto's fashion district. Cool. When did you um, come back from Toronto? Because you just finished up your MFA at Waterloo, right? Yes. Um, I actually, I moved to Montreal very briefly and like a uh, pandemic like, yeah, trying to save rent money. Um, and then I moved back to Toronto because that's my home and where I feel most comfortable in my community and art community. Mm-hmm. Do you want to describe your practice for any listeners not familiar with your work? Yeah, I'm, uh, I consider myself to be a post-internet artist. Um, my work is informed by and about internet culture. Um, especially social media and internet subcultures. Um, I make videos that often involve some sort of performance combined with screen recordings of how I interact with online spaces and apps and found footage from YouTubers. Um, I also make uh, installations for my video work to help direct the viewing experience and make the work more interactive. And I have um, a social media practice that I think of as supplementary to my videos and the persona I embody when I perform. And I have also done some live performance, um, but they also uh, involve technology and screens. Mm -hmm. Can you explain your persona to me? Because I've seen your videos and um, like have been consuming your content, but I feel like I still don't know, like, the whole extreme of, like, Shrimpy Chip. Uh, shrimpy Chip is a persona I developed um, actually during my undergrad in my thesis year. But I, I started it more as an experimentation. And it's kind of this um, really pared down version of myself where 
I really thought about how everyone kind of has their own persona on social media and really trying to hone in on that and overshare, but then at the same time, pair myself back. And I try to make it really performative and make it about the performance of being on social media and the idea of curating your own image online. Yeah, and you, you do it across m- multiple platforms. How do you see that? I feel like you're creating this this universe for your character to exist in. How do you maintain all of that? I I mainly um I use Instagram as a way to um keep the persona alive, mm-hmm. really. So I think of my shrimpy chip would mainly be on YouTube, but then um, people can act, interact with them on Instagram daily. And then I have I have multiple platforms for Shrimpy Chip. Um, also as a way for me to explore different platforms in a way that is experimental, but also um, keeps in line with this um, concept and themes I've developed for myself. Mm-hmm. And yeah, really creating the universe to make it more... Um, more of a real persona but then also this like strange internet person when you say overshare how do you think of that from your perspective as an artist existing on social media well I use the archive a lot so often um I also I'll on my Instagram I'll post um archived stories from my actual like my personal finsta mm-hmm. um i'll only post it a year later <laughs> so it's it's detached from myself enough that it becomes shrimpy chip <laughs> at that point where it's no longer me it's just like what i put out on the internet and then i can repurpose it in a more disconnected way as like this is something i put online um and it exists in the archive. Um, like, how does this become me? How does this um, not me in a way? Because um, I think like even though if Insta is performative in that sense, where I I'm not just saying something, I crafted something to show other people. And I, even though it is like more personal, I still am trying to present this part of myself in a certain way that's not completely authentic mm-hmm. how did you start your performance practice was it always on the internet or how did it grow I started in printmaking mm-hmm. at OCAD my undergrad and I was drawing these um, illustrations of these figures wearing this kind of I called it safety suit mm-hmm. um, and it was just like a protective garment um, that was also um, transparent so it wasn't completely protective and then I made the costume for myself and I put, photographed myself wearing the suit so I became the illustration hmm. and then I wanted to activate it so I started performing in the suit and then I realized that performing fit better with what I was trying to do than drawing I went with that and it escalated into this whole shrimpy chip thing which now I think I can I'll continue to perform outside of shrimpy chip and within it 
how do you decide what's within Shrimpy Chip and what's outside of it as a project? Yeah, I, I think that Shrimpy Chip is more um, about uh, online communication specific to social media. Mm-hmm. So all, all of my social media projects would be Shrimpy Chip, but then when I am thinking outside of that, it might be not completely in line with that concept. Um, mm-hmm. But I I think Shrimpy could uh, develop and I, I think I have also have like a music practice, which I've promoted on Shrimpy Chip. So I think it's funny having um, Shrimpy Chip having their own personas within a persona and this like overlapping kind of like convoluted <laughs> internet presence. No, I think that's cool because you can't really tell what's real and what isn't. It's like, is this your practice or is this Shrimpy's practice? And like, who is Shrimpy and who is you? Yeah, I I like having that, um, having part of it be ambiguous and the idea of everyone really having multiple personas online. Like every handle you have is sort of a new part of yourself. Every platform you're on is like, is a version of yourself or a version of your internet persona and what's your relationship been with these different platforms like as the institutions that they are because I I noticed that you're critiquing them in a specific way but not in the way that I think other people are just like the internet is bad like yours is much more um, nuanced I was drawn to making work about the internet because how important it was to me growing up and finding community. So I really um I'm not trying to put down the internet in in like any well to a degree I think that the internet is a really capitalist space um and it has it definitely has hierarchies like Instagram is run by Facebook which is has this whole monopoly and also YouTube is owned by Google which again like Facebook and Google are I think the top companies running the internet and what does that mean for people using it, especially marginalized folks and how can community be fostered when it has to exist in a really capitalist space with certain barriers that make it difficult for us. Mm -hmm. And what have been some of the barriers that you've come up against in your practice or, or have you not experienced them personally yet? I think policing of the body is definitely one Um, being um, like AFAP and femme representing. um, I'm often sexualized by viewers who just like come across my work. So I've been dealing with that in some ways and like running my image through image identification software, um, seeing how it interprets me and also being a Southeast Asian person, like how my face is categorized on different platforms. And are you running your image through like Instagram or, or what programs are you checking to see how it how it's reading your image? Various things. When I sometimes on Facebook when I am like flagged for um, like nudity, which is I don't really post that much on it, but um, I'll 
think of that as research or I do, I've found like various uh, free image identification uh, websites that'll run things through or even um, yeah, like YouTube when it's flagged mm-hmm. and I'll just like keep a tab on that. Um, I've also, I worked with the app FaceApp. Mm-hmm. I use the gender, it's like a gender swap. <laughs> um, and also I'm non-binary. So seeing how I was identified as like a woman or a man. And I made a video where I switched my face back and forth until it was completely distorted or the app also interpreted my race differently so I when I became like a quote-unquote man I became really not made me really dark mm-hmm. um but then when I became a quote-unquote woman it really made it made my face much more fair and seeing like how it interprets different ethnicities and genders and like why who's behind it how can we use the glitch to um, uncover these biases. Do you find yourself like leaning into every technology as as they come up? I try to. There's so many different technologies, but <laughs> I, I try to push into it far enough that I can uncover something. Yeah. And have you been on TikTok? I can't remember. I had a social media TikTok account. And that's I. I'm really interested by TikTok. I, I, I'm mainly just playing around with it, mm-hmm. and I'll do like dances with the, um, like hype house. <laughs> I really don't understand TikTok. I feel like I, I like miss the boat. Like my brain just glitches out at like this Gen Z kind of app. Um, but how have you been finding like the new possibilities? Because it is kind of like. Um, vine but it has this political kind of twist to it which i think lends itself really well to your work i think that gen z is so cool and i think there's so there's so many um cool tiktokers out there i'm still again like i feel like i'm already outdated in a way or old where i'm like oh i there's all these cool tiktok teens um how do i break into this mm-hmm. in a way could be art without I don't know like in a way that's authentic like on the app but also can say something new and interesting yeah like how to translate your art practice into kind of this new weird form Mm -hmm. I'm still I'm still interested in it and I'm I would like to do some more um, thought out TikTok piece do you want to talk a bit about how your work installs in physical spaces versus in digital spaces, like within institutional contexts or within artist-run centers? Yeah, um, in the gallery, it's different than my works um, naturally because my work exists online. But in the gallery, I like to play with installation and I get to experiment with different ways of viewing, which I think is really interesting. In the past, I've used um, different seating or beds to kind of direct how people will interact with my work and kind of make my own bedroom space mm-hmm. or bring my bring the filming space to the gallery, um, which the filming space is my bedroom. <laughs> and 
I, I like interaction. So I've made some more interactive ex, uh, installations where people can touch work and also having using showing my work on a smaller device like a phone or an iPad. Uh, I think it's really nice because it makes it more intimate in that way or it recreates the home experience in the gallery. Mm -hmm. And outside of the institution, it's definitely where my work feels the most natural. And and I think then it's kind of on, the work is continuously ongoing because it's collaborating with the platform in a way and how any updates to the platform or redesigns on YouTube, like how it sits within recommendations and um, the comments, if people comment on my work, that becomes part of it. Mm -hmm. But again, like the institutions are in also important, like galleries, um, artist run centers. Um, it's how I can make money off of my work and also it um, puts it gives, allows me to make a name for myself within the art community mm -hmm. but I also like being this like internet weirdo that people just stumble upon and are like what's this <laughs> I'm I'm not married to uh, the way any of my work is viewed so mm -hmm. I I think it's fun to have a YouTube video but then like how does it exist in the white cube um, how does the context change mm -hmm. Place beside my other work, um, or how people can interact with it. Um, like my thesis exhibition, uh, which uh, will take place sometime in the future, <laughs> post pandemic, um, was it will show my YouTube channel, but with um, more of a, trying to make it more overwhelming, like a bunch of screens playing together at the same time um, with multiple videos on different devices so that it, the exhibition will constantly be in motion. Cool. This week's podcast recommendation is an older episode of the Polyester Podcast called live episode, Wednesday Homes on how to show up for trans plus people. A special live recording with artist and LGBTQA plus advocate slash activist, Wednesday Homes, more commonly known on the internet as at hello, my name is Wednesday. And that, that reminds me of the filter that you made for Instagram with like all the screens. Yes, um, that one is, I have two Instagram filters. Yeah. Um, the one that you're referring to, I believe, is Farmers Only, <laughs> which I took as a joke from the like Farmers Only um, dating app. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> but uh, so the, the images in it are from taken from Click Farms. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, which are, they are facilities um, often in um, Southeast Asia or South Asia um, where they'll just be rooms full of computers or 
phones and they'll have people manually clicking likes on people's social media if they buy likes. Mm -hmm. Um, So thinking of the currency of social media and the currency of likes and um, at like what expense is popularity or celebrity like who, who's at the other end mm-hmm. of that spectrum and I think like having it I thought that fun the, the filter is really funny to me because it's on Instagram and some people will use it without knowing what it is <laughs> but it's like this creepy thing that's kind of uh like cynical in a way where you're taking a photo for Instagram like smiling but then it's a photo of a like farm <laughs> I think also the idea of likes as a resource that we farm is also hilarious it's so weird so do you does your research involve like um how people are buying likes or this kind of fake social media presence that's that's blown up or are you looking at more into like um genuine personas existing on the internet i guess there are no genuine personas on the internet but you know what i mean yeah i right now i'm oh i'm really interested in manipulation online and um, different layers of like performance and what's fake what's real and like uncovering truth online how do you do that (laughs) yeah yeah how do you feel being in and I'm so sorry to say this a post-truth era like trying to strive (laughs) for truth on the internet um it's a weird place but there's so many different routes to research and think about so it's really it's a really exciting time where it software is evolving constantly um websites and just like how people interact with it it's changing so rapidly um we're right right now i'm um, researching like different bots online and there's like this porn bot epidemic on instagram uh, which is already kind of calmed down, like more so than it was a year ago. Mm-hmm. But that was kind of weird for me, where it was just like this really brief moment, and now I'm like, oh, has that moment passed? Is it already like not contemporary anymore? <laughs> Do you want to talk about the origins of Shrimpy Chip and how you started this project and and came up with the name? I made the account in. 2000 at the end of 2016 I think mainly because I was that before that I didn't really think of it as um an art practice at the very beginning um I was just wanted to experiment um I started having more relationships online and then I was kind of just thinking about how that actually has been my life for a really long time and I wanted to explore it more and then I started making YouTube videos again just to experiment and play with performance more Um, but I was still the work I was showing in galleries and the work I was submitting was still really print based Mm -hmm. and 
um, when I did my master's, I showed my advisors my digital practice and they were so supportive. And that gave me much more um, confidence to continue that. And it's also what I was mainly excited about. Mm-hmm. Um, the chip name is like based on the snack shrimp chip. Um, I am, I'm Indonesian, so shrimp chips have um, a personal connection to me since they're an Indonesian snack. I wanted something, a name that would really like honor my myself as a marginalized individual, but also I am fairly disconnected to my my ethnic origins so i thought that it was interesting to have to use shrimpy chip as a way that ties me to southeast asian culture but i also feel disconnected to it so it it was already a persona in a way from the beginning mm-hmm. um but also i felt personal to me so kind of yeah like thinking of like intimacy and disconnection and now I'm feel so close to the name and I also also thinking of like early internet handles that aren't anyone's name that are just like some object people like Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like early hotmail handles yeah yeah or like a tumblr handle Mm -hmm. What was your early internet start? What did it look like? Were you on Tumblr or MySpace? I was on both of those. Um, I at the beginning, I actually I had a Pixo. Nice. And uh, yeah, I think in I had that in grade four or five um, when I was really young, mm-hmm. and I would just share like sparkly graphics. I would add uh like a sparkly cursor to my page and like scroller bar and I'd have a guest book. Um I started sneaking on to like chat rooms really early on in my childhood and I'd have to like learn how to delete my search history so that my mom didn't get mad at me for going on these chat rooms. So how did you end up in printmaking uh for your undergrad? I feel like um, printmaking is so old school and then to move into like digital art and video is like a, a very big shift I yeah it's really strange to me as well honestly <laughs> um, I I started in drawing and painting at OCAD actually mm-hmm. and then I switched to printmaking um, I really like uh, process based work and learning these different tools to make a work, but then eventually it got kind of limiting where I had to stay with a specific medium. And by the end of, by the time I had my undergrad thesis, I was doing like photography and the, like my, the beginning of my performance work where I'd pose in costumes and um doing some textile based work mm-hmm. um so i think like i'm definitely more uh multidisciplinary than 
sticking to one specific medium and um I'll probably make like screen prints eventually but I don't necessarily consider myself a printmaker Mm -hmm. except for I guess videos are still multiples yeah digital multiples for sure yeah in terms of costuming because you said that that's kind of how you got started like um you did that drawing and then you created the outfit what what drew you to making that the physical object and, and getting into these costumes I just wanted to give life to my drawings and the the characters I created I at first I was doing I was drawing and I was um adding text to kind of animate it mm-hmm. but that was getting me as far as I wanted to go and I I just think working with the body is much more natural to me and um creating skits and kind of um reimagining life in like a time-based kind of art practice Mm -hmm. and how do you come up with these skits are they based off of your real life experience are you drawing from theoretical texts both and also responding to um internet culture Mm -hmm. and what what's already out i'm really inspired by uh youtubers and i've for a lot of my work i've looked at uh, what is already out on YouTube, what are the trends, and what is my take on it. Yeah. Um, So I've done, like, a few videos on selfies and using different apps and recording it and then editing it to kind of give a new meaning. What is the process like from creating the raw video and then taking it into post? Because you almost have this collage attitude in in some of your videos I'm just curious how you approach the the editing process uh yeah a lot of the work is I would think of it as like a video collage and the editing is super important to my practice um definitely that's why I don't really consider myself like a strict performance artist Mm -hmm. because it's always um being mediated by technology or I'll like scramble it around Mm -hmm. um so I'll I'll come up with uh like a basic script that I'll follow um and then I'll I'll just film for a really long time so I have as much footage as possible I'll often film multiple times and then the editing, I feel like, is that is when it, where it really comes alive, mm-hmm. and I get to like the, the effects are really important to my work, and using green screen and like cutting things together mm-hmm. so that you're like very aware of it being outside of IRL mm-hmm. <laughs> and into this zone where um, it becomes like. It becomes very digital and the digital process is like very much a part of what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And are you performing in your bedroom and, and filming there or are you going and setting up in a studio? I am generally performing in my bedroom or when I had 
my own space to myself I perform in like my living room or dining room or bathroom <laughs> um I filmed like what I filmed one video in a studio um because I was collaborating with someone who had a studio or who had access to a studio yeah and I filmed one my chat roulette video I filmed in the studio that I had at uh University of Waterloo mm-hmm. And do you find your practice changes when you're in studio versus when you're at home? The the time that I did the collaborative work um, with Justin Atkins in a studio, it was like it was fairly different to my process in my bedroom. Also because I was collaborating with someone. Yeah. Um, but I was just like, wow, I get to use this nice equipment and <laughs> nice lighting. That's cool. <laughs> Uh, but and I use a like a better camera I usually just record on my webcam and then set up a little space in my bedroom and it actually it works for my concept um, doing social media work which is generally filmed in a bedroom or the like bedroom aesthetic early youtubers who are just setting up their camera like on their bed yeah um but also it is really helpful because I I don't need a studio I can just like film wherever how has your practice been affected by the pandemic because I know you had to defend also your thesis um over zoom like how did your work translate like that I was so lucky where at every since everything was already on YouTube, it didn't really change it. Um, like I, the gallery exhibition is postponed, so I didn't get that as a finale to my degree. Um, but I, or, and I've also I had uh, I had one show cancel that was going to be in a physical space, um, but then I also had a few shows that were going to be physical um they were just going to be video screenings so that translated really well to just like an online screening mm-hmm. like one was on Twitch, um which was fine like my work was already just going to be streamed from my youtube video so that was it worked out well um and yeah I, it i'm really lucky that my work is already ready to be viewed on someone's laptop and it actually is meant to be doing that yeah and i think that also the project that you have just started like the instagram um, surfers is also like feeding into this idea um that your work and your practice does really fit well on the internet for for collaboration so how has that been going and, and how did you come up with that idea uh so surfers i'm inspired by early internet um, collaborative groups um, called professional internet surfer groups or clubs, uh, which were just these groups of artists who would find um, like work online and just post it on a blog, like just like fun graphics or gifs, um, and then they'd like remix it or comment on it or sometimes post their own original work on these blogs Mm -hmm. 
And I thought that was really exciting. And I wanted to like make a like a new newer version of it. Um, since these were in the early 2000s mainly and how that could work for more emerging artists. Um, also, I just really wanted to have more of a dialogue with net artists. Um, going to school in Waterloo, I was the only um, net artist in my year. So I wanted to build more of a community around that. and. Uh, just like an, a fun experimental platform that people could just join on without feeling too much pressure and uh, like seeing what else can come from that and also supporting um, net artists um, who are like people of color, uh, queer and like having a more comfortable space to produce work. Thanks for listening to Hopping the Fence, a podcast dedicated to the fringes of the Canadian art scene. If you have an artist you would like to hear interviewed, would like to correct slash fact check a past episode, or would like to chat, feel free to send me a message on Instagram at hoppingthefence or by email at rebeccaecasolino at gmail.com. If you would like to support this podcast and help me avoid burnout, please visit our Patreon to subscribe. Check out the show notes for more details. If you can't donate, no worries. Thanks for taking the time to listen. Original artwork for Hopping the Fence by Alex Gregory. Original music by Jessica Price Eisner. Thanks so much. Bye.